0: Celebrate the launch of David Rothkoff's new book, American Resistance, the inside story of how the deep state saved the nation by becoming a member today. This month, new members will receive a free signed copy of the book, along with the usual member benefits, including an ad-free listening experience, members-only bonus content, an invitation to join the DSR Network Slack community, and more. To take advantage of this offer, visit the dsrnetwork.com slash buy and select the option titled American Resistance. Upon successful checkout, you will receive a confirmation email with instructions on how to redeem the book. The book retails for $29 but is included with this membership option. You'll just pay for shipping. Please allow two to four weeks for shipping. Thank you very
1: much.
2: Welcome to Deep State Radio. This is Rosa Brooks, and I am serving as moderator today because David Rothkopf, our fearless leader, has decided to spend the rest of his day on the New Jersey Turnpike, which is is an attractive destination, and and many millions of Americans have also decided to spend their day on the New Jersey Turnpike, and they and David are together right now enjoying the festive pre-Thanksgiving spirit. However, we have uh, the rest of our usual crew here with us. We have Ed Luce, the national editor, U.S. national editor and columnist at the Financial Times, David Sanger, White House and national security correspondent and a senior writer at the New York Times, and of course, Corey Shockey, a senior fellow and the director of foreign and defense policy studies at the American Enterprise Institute. And this is our annual Thanksgiving episode where we wonder if anybody has anything at all to be thankful about. So I, we thought what we would do today is talk a little bit about world leaders and what, if anything, they eat, have to be thankful about. And let me, let me start with you, Corey, and ask you, what does Chinese President Xi Jinping have to be thankful about this year?
3: That the Biden national security strategy does not include the Single most important element that America's allies and friends are pleading with us for to manage China's malevolence. That is an international economic and trade strategy that helps all of us reduce our reliance on the Chinese economy. And despite any endless uh, inputs from America's allies, the Biden administration cannot bring itself to uh, have a vision of the American economy that's not the 1950s. And so we're not going to permit market access or support trade treaties or join the CPTPP or any of the things that will help us hold hands with our friends and even our not so friendly countries that are even more worried about China than they're worried about the United States. Because it's a big impediment, not only to the success of managing China, but to the effectiveness of Biden administration national security strategy.
2: David Sanger, do you agree?
0: Uh, I do. First of all, I say that I think it's wonderful to be back with the original four of us, uh, even if if our ringleader is uh, stranded on the New Jersey turnpike. And I think that if there is a single thing that we can all be thankful for today is that we decided not to drive on the New Jersey turnpike today, <laughs> because not only would we be stuck looking at those oil tankers, you know, that you see, but if you were next to Rothkoff's car, he would be, you know, the windows would be rolled down and he'd be talking about his new book. And, you know, it'd be a lot like being on Deep State. I'm <laughs> surprised so. he hasn't joined us
2: from the, from the New Jersey turnpike. I'm a little disappointed. I suspect...
0: That the combination of honking horns and cursing drivers, he thought, probably didn't make for the audio environment he had. I don't
2: know. I always feel like it's kind of jolly on the on the New Jersey Turnpike around Thanksgiving. It's just you and your fellow Americans. It's kind of nice. It's sort of a communal activity.
4: As Simon Garfunkel recommended, you count the cars and you look for America.
2: Right. That's right.
4: That's right. And and when you have been sitting on the Jersey
0: Turnpike in unmoving traffic, have you ever asked the question? Why your countrymen wanted to hold on to to this territory to begin with, and had they known what the Jersey Turnpike was going to look like at Thanksgiving, do you think they really would have fought for
4: it well as, as you know, I mean they would have fought more valiantly, but but Trump reminded us that America had some pretty pretty good air force bases nearby, and it was just not an even contest. <laughs> I,
2: I will say one corny thing, whenever I'm on the New Jersey Turnpike, and I'm usually sort of unhappy because I don't like traffic, and I stop at one of those New Jersey Turnpike rest plazas, and I always feel quite cheered by them because you really do, everybody has to go to those New Jersey Turnpike rest plazas. It doesn't matter if you're a billionaire and you're being driven in your, you know, your fancy stretch limousine or you're in your self Tesla self-driving car. Or if you're poor, like everybody's gonna have to go to those service plazas, and everybody's actually surprisingly nice to each other at those service plazas. So I always feel like here we all are together, folks. We're in it together. We all have to get stale Nathan's hot dogs or whatever it is, and and it's kind of nice.
3: So I drove the New Jersey Turnpike a bunch of times when I was teaching at West Point and splitting my time between Washington and. But I was usually driving it at 1.30 in the morning. And good coffee at New Jersey turn, Turnpike stops is something for which I am grateful this Thanksgiving as every Thanksgiving because it kept me from car crashes.
0: So, Rosa, I'm doing something worse tomorrow than the New Jersey Turnpike. You know, you clustered sort of in the East Coast bubble. Uh-huh. Folks. You guys always amuse me. We're in Dallas, and we're going to see friends in Austin. So on Thanksgiving, the day before Thanksgiving, we're going to get in the car and drive down I-35 for four hours to Austin. Now, I-35 is impassable, particularly around Waco, my family home, uh, where, where my relatives came 150 years ago before they built I-35. It's impassable in non-Thanksgiving time. So I I don't know what we're doing. Somebody must be looking at Google Maps and trying to figure out the worst possible time to get on I-35, but we're going to do it.
4: Why don't you just fly to Austin?
0: You know, I was thinking of volunteering to do that while the rest of the family drove down because we have you know too many of them. But I decided it probably wouldn't contribute to family peace, Ed.
2: All right, well, I'm falling down on my job as moderator because I'm letting you all chat so, about the New
0: Jersey Post.: ch- OK. You sure so you party asked party? me the question. Did yeah, I agree with Corey? Corey Corey is partly right. Corey is as, as, almost absolutely right. I think if you're Xi Jinping, you've had a really good year, you've just gotten anointed for life, right? He doesn't really have to worry about political opposition. She is absolutely correct, uh, as usual, that the national security strategy missed a big opportunity. And as Corey has been the one reminding us, we have a mismatch of ends and means here in the way we've done our budgeting for dealing with the Indo Pacific, in which we are going to be moving force structure in there past the estimated date that China might seek to take on Taiwan which is sort of the classic strategic error, if you believe that that date to be be accurate. Um, That said, he's got a more complicated, she has got a more complicated situation now than he did last Thanksgiving. Not that he celebrates Thanksgiving. His economy has slowed down to the levels at which Western countries are more accustomed. And he's not at all certain that he can keep the political peace in a country where ideology has long ago sort of gone out the door, and it's all about economic growth. His second problem is that while Biden's effort to go build semiconductors in the United States and all that is again insufficient to the task ahead, we're not going to have enough production capacity in the U.S. to replace Taiwan Semiconductor and dependency on on China for less advanced stuff. It is the beginning of a movement to sort of reshore, as people say, and to no longer be as dependent on China as we have been. And if that movement keeps going, and if Biden's successor, whoever that is, manages to keep investing in that, and you actually can move a significant amount of production capacity away, then I think China's got a big loss of leverage.
2: Ed, you know, I was thinking uh, the one thing that maybe she is not so thankful for is his friendship with Vladimir Putin.
4: No, I mean, I, I think he's. By the way, I'm just in, in, in. I'm getting confused between she and she. Was I, earlier you we were referring to what Corey said, and right. I think well,
2: she is, is always she right, but she is right? always wrong. If you see what
4: um, I mean. No, well, when you say she is always always wrong, obviously you're not referring to Corey. Um, <laughs> the friendship without limits. It's hit, hit its limits pretty quickly, um, and it's very clear now if it wasn't before that when Putin met Xi at the Olympics, Winter Olympics in February, that he didn't indicate what was going to happen and when it was going to happen, and that the Chinese were blindsided by this, and that they've been increasingly frustrated. I think it is quite interesting that you know when Biden met Xi in Bali last week at the G20 and since That she has been really going out of his way, having finally ended his self-imposed quarantine, to try and stabilise things with the Americans, to try and mend some of the more egregious fences, not to overcome these Grand Canyon esque differences, but just to stabilise this relationship. And I've no doubt that you know Russia's fortunes and its unpredictability have made that uh, more pressing. Need for Xi Jinping. I have to say, I'm thankful. You asked a different question, but I'm thankful to the um, American independent voter for making you know this post midterm election and post and pre Thanksgiving period a lot less foreboding and a lot less dread inducing than it might otherwise have been. This has been a really quite positive shock the midterm elections with all kinds of ripples and reverberations that we ought to be thankful for.
3: So I mostly agree with Ed, but I don't think his gratitude is expansive enough. He ought also to be grateful to the 11% of Republican voters who crossed the line and voted for Democrats and to all the Democratic voters who turned out in force in order to help elect candidates.
2: But I'm not grateful to those idiots who voted for election deniers. Anyway, um, okay, let me let me shift to another person. Um, How about President Xi's bestie, sort of sort of bestie, maybe not so much anymore, uh, Vladimir Putin? Corey, does Vladimir Putin have anything to be thankful for?
3: Yes, he should be thankful to the security services who are keeping him in power and arresting nearly 20,000 Russians who have tried to protest against Russia's invasion of war in Ukraine, He should be grateful that the America's friends in the oil-producing countries, especially in the Persian Gulf, are assisting him in keeping oil prices higher than countries in Europe and the United States would like. And he should be grateful. Let's see, what else can he be grateful for? Oh, that nobody's leaked his Botox records yet. So that he, he can pretend not to look as vain as he evidently is.
0: Can I add something else that Putin should be grateful for? The approach of winter. I mean,
3: excellent point, his, David.
0: His, his, and most people celebrate the approach of winter because of. Skiing and parties and the opportunity to go to Rose's party in her deep Wyoming underground missile silo that's been converted into a spectacular condo where Corey and Ed and I like that like like the curved bar you know around the, the old silo. Kind
3: of we place. ski in too.
0: We ski in. That's that's right. And then drop in, you know. <laughs> but Vladimir has a different reason to be thankful for it because. The only way this remains a frozen conflict is if it's really frozen. So he's had basically a steady retreat since the initial uh, attacks. We all had it wrong that, you know, we all thought that the Russian military was going to roll over Zelensky and his forces. I think the one thing that could stabilize things is... The fact that it's so hard to operate in the winter, although the Ukrainians say- oh,
2: No, the war started in the and
0: winter. It did start that, in the winter, but it started- How far We you
2: think know. they're going to slow down?
0: Yeah. But even if it doesn't slow down, this is his one best opportunity, this and next winter, if he's still operating there, to fracture NATO by pumping up the price of uh, gas or maybe cutting it off. And to see if he can break the will of the Ukrainians by forcing them out of their cities by this whole campaign to destroy vast amounts of their infrastructure, which is, you know, looked relatively successful. You know, we all thought that the way you would bring down power grids was by cyber. Certainly, I argued that. And it turns out that in wartime, it's a lot cheaper to just put a missile through a substation and turn out the lights that way. So. um that's where he stands had it not been winter i think he would not have much left out there i agree with cory that he's got bigger problems coming and the most fascinating critiques of him have come not from the traditional left the human right side and all that but from the right who have been embarrassed by the way the military has failed to perform
1: if you're like me You're probably a bit frustrated with the state of our political system today. So why does American democracy look the way it does? And how can we make it more responsive to the people it was formed to serve? Democracy Decoded is a podcast by the Campaign Legal Center. It examines our government and discusses innovative ideas that could lead to a stronger, more transparent, accountable, and inclusive democracy. In season two, host Simone Leaper covers everything you need to know about voting in the United States. She speaks with experts from across the country and voters representing impacted communities about the deliberate barriers to voting that exist today. She asks, how can we make our voting system more inclusive? Because our democracy works best when every voter can participate, listen to the latest season at democracydecoded.org or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Ed, anything that you wanted to add to that? I'm also figuring that Vladimir Putin is sitting around really hoping it's unusually
0: cold in Europe
2: this winter. If it's unusually warm, then his, his plan to fracture NATO is uh, less likely to be successful.
4: Yeah, I mean, I, I think. It probably won't be. And, and I agree with what Corey and David said. I think he, he's continually thankful for and has reasons to continue to thank Viktor Orban, Mohammed bin Salman, North Korea, Venezuela, various regimes at times, Narendra Modi, although less and less as time goes on. And a large number of countries that, that you know, have consistently abstained at UN votes. But I don't think he can bank on that number growing. I think if anything, it'll dwindle as time goes on. It's extraordinary how badly he's misplayed every tactical moment, where, where every fork in the road, he's chosen the wrong fork. And so even even people who wish him well, which is not many people I know are losing their patience, clearly China being, being one of them. I think he should be thankful for the guy with the piano wire in the Kremlin who hasn't yet sort of crept up on him. Um, and strangled him and although that's you know a fantasy many in the west have of a palace coup we're not going to give up on it
3: and I'm, i'm curious
0: about your comment yeah i'm curious about your comment that the chinese are giving up on him i don't see any evidence of that and i think if anything what's happened now is likely to deepen the relationship between china and russia because China's the only thing Russia's got going, other than Iran, as a supplier of missiles and and um, drones. and And it's very useful to Xi Jinping to have a large nuclear power that's also dedicated to trying to make life miserable for the United States. So, I mean, yeah, there are tensions out there, and he probably is telling Putin jokes behind Putin's back. But... He needs him as much, not as much as, but he needs him much as Putin needs the Chinese.
4: I don't think China has given up on him. I I mean, I might have misstated, um, used, uh, used misleading vocabulary there. I don't think that China has given up on him, but I think there's some frustration showing
2: I think you've got to be careful what you wish for, Ed. I mean, I, if uh, somebody takes a piano wire to Putin, it's as likely to be the nationalist far right, um, which would be even worse for the rest of the world than than the, uh, I don't think it's going to be the human rights loving left in Russia that's going to take a piano wire to him. But anyway, okay. From a in from about philosophical
4: five minutes, point whatever. of view, that, that wasn't a consequentialist fantasy. It was just the intrinsic <laughs> sort of.
2: The intrinsic, it's intrinsic moral appeal life. of someone taking a piano wire. Exactly. Um, in about five minutes, we're going, to, we're going to take a short break. But before we do that, let me ask about President
3: Biden. What does he have to be thankful for, Corey? He should be thankful for American voters repudiating most of the election denier candidates in swing states. He should be grateful that European allies responded to the call of American leadership to help support Ukraine. He should be grateful to the courage and sacrifice of the Ukrainian people because that's helping remind Americans and allies and others in the world that the abandonment of Afghanistan and the subsequent disgrace of that operation isn't the only thing the Biden administration can do. Afghanistan badly dented their reputation for sense and judgment, competence. He should be grateful that the American consumer is keeping our economy going and he should, what else? So much to be grateful for. It's been a good year. For President Biden? It has. And I actually think all
2: world leaders should be grateful for Botox because I'm pretty sure most of them are are partaking a little bit. But David, how about Joe Biden? What should he be thankful for?
0: Well, he's got all those things that uh, Corey mentioned. And he has the legislation that he got through while he still had a democratically controlled Congress. For all of his celebrations about the fact that he didn't take the drubbing that everybody had predicted, he has still lost control of the House, which means that he is unlikely to get almost anything in his domestic agenda through. It's possible that because the Republicans have such a narrow majority, he may be able to cobble together some votes on some pieces of significant legislation if he can get some Republican defectors, but it will require defectors. And so this is, you know, largely over for him. So I think Biden's got a fair bit to be, to be thankful for. He also just had his 80th birthday and you didn't see the White House making a very big deal other than the release of a photograph of him blowing out candles on a coconut cake that they weren't making a huge deal of it because in the next two years, he's going to have to deal with the question of whether the oldest person ever to occupy the Oval Office would actually run for re-election.
2: I'm going to go to Ed, then we're going to take a break. And just to give you members an incentive to, to stick around uh, after the break, and those of you who are non-members, an incentive to join really quickly. We're saving our most special treat for after the break, and that is the return of David Rothkopf, still alive after his battle with the New Jersey turnpike. OK, but Ed, what does Joe Biden have to be thankful for?
4: I don't want to sound callous, but Vladimir Putin um, has done extraordinary. It's given him a foreign policy. It's united the West. It's created a, forged a Ukraine. And um, given Biden an historic purpose that he's executed extremely well. We mentioned before the sort of ability of a sufficient delta of American electorate to variegate and vote differentially isn't something that he should, and we should all be extremely thankful for. I agree with David. I'm thankful for turning 80. Um, I think he might be thankful at some point for, for being asked to consider whether it's worth being president until he's 86. But that's another conversation.
2: I think everyone who is nearing his age should be grateful to Joe Biden for, for showing that octogenarians can be president. And as I say to my father, one of our loyal listeners, whenever he says he's getting old, I say, Dad, you're not even old enough to be president yet. <laughs> um, so it makes all the rest of us feel youthful. Um, okay, we're going to take a very short break, I'll we'll say goodbye to our non-members. But our members have more to be thankful for, because they're going to get to hear from David Rothkopf when we come back. Okay, we will be right back.